We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. In this Danger Zone program, I'm going to tell you about the Spanish fashion designer who met six enormous thugs sent to his Paris studio by Adolf Hitler. Hitler wanted Berlin to become the fashion capital of the world. He wanted this designer to relocate there from Paris. Balenciaga sent them packing, saying to them, Tell your boss you might just as well take all the bulls to Berlin and try to train the bullfighters there. But there were also dark sides suggesting collaboration by him with the Nazis. Who was he? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Florette Chalot was another refugee fleeing the Spanish Civil War. She left Spain when she was 25 years old. I guess it was finding someone from the old country that led her to meet up with Balenciaga and the fact that she had been working in the fashion industry for a long time. It was said that she had a competent air set off by a smile that at once delighted and comforted, as well as a black book filled with contacts from top department stores such as Bloomingdale's and Harrods. She became the first person Balenciaga hired to work with him on the third floor of 10 Avenue Georges V in Paris. Perhaps she was the last person, too, to leave his employ in 1968 when he closed up his studio and retired. It was subsequently reopened by Wang. Florette became the main source of information about the reclusive Balenciaga after his death from the interview she gave for the biography of his life to Mary Bloom, who wrote the bestseller, The Master of Us All, Balenciaga, His Workrooms, His World. Mary Bloom begins her book saying that the only things known for certain about Balenciaga was that he loved to ski and he had sinus difficulties. Balenciaga placed Florette at a desk near the entrance to his private studio. Florette observed that Balenciaga could dance a mean passe doble and was fearful of people who came to his studio, passing themselves off as buyers, but leaving with detailed notes on his designs. They obviously had designs of their own. It seems that the other thing certain about Balenciaga was that he was humble, but driven, a technically brilliant perfectionist obsessed with sleeves. Cries of La Manga and ripping seams could be heard before the collections were exhibited. He had odd taste in models who tended towards the lantern-jawed and moon-faced. He was painfully shy, often watching Florette at work with his clients through a peephole. Most of his clients never met the master. The presentation, he believed, should appear as discreet and seamless as the clothes themselves. 
Although he wasn't above using Spanish origins for a promotional showpiece or two, the Velasquez-inspired Infanta dress, the Toreador jackets, he dissuaded customers from ordering them. There were storm clouds brewing over Europe, and Balenciaga would find himself, this time, caught in the middle of the Third Reich of Adolf Hitler. Before World War II, Balenciaga was getting rave reviews from the French press as the new powerhouse of fashion. Owning a Balenciaga was now an absolute must for the powerful and those in the know. Even the collapse of the Third French Republic to the Nazis didn't stop the sales of his clothing outside the Nazi empire. Some clients risked travelling to Paris to buy them. The fashionista Gloria Guinness said there were more Balenciaga dresses smuggled out of Europe than perfumes. With the collapse of France, Adolf Hitler was the new power in Paris, and he had something in mind. Berlin was to be the new fashion capital of the world. All of the French designers would be forced to move there, he decided. Which is how I opened this program with the famous quote by Balenciaga to Hitler's goons sent to move him and his salon to Berlin. Obviously for Hitler, it was politically and culturally important to increase the prestige in the world of Germany. But in 1930, Mussolini had wisely said, any power is destined to fall before fact. The Nazis wanted Berlin to replace Paris as the capital of style and set about it with a typical lack of tact and subtlety. But like me, you might be surprised to learn how important the fashion industry, including the perfume industry, was to the German war effort. One exported couture dress, it's claimed, would pay for one tonne of imported coal, and a litre of exported perfume brought in the financial equivalent to two tonnes of imported fuel oil. At first, after the fall of France to the Nazis in June, Balenciaga had to close up his business. But he was able to reopen in September 1940, just a few months after closing. That happened for a number of reasons. One was that Balenciaga had his other stores open and operating in Franco, Spain. And Franco was a friend of sorts of Hitler and he was popular with the Spanish royal family and popular with Franco and the new rulers of Spain. And therefore he had an in with the Nazis. The other reason was that the head of the Chambre Syndicale de la Haute Couture Parisienne, Lucien Lelong, did a deal with the Nazis in exchange for them not transferring the Parisian fashion industry to Berlin, the French fashion industry would hand over all of the Jews in the fashion industry. The Chambre is the organisation that says which designers are haute couture designers and which are not, based on a set of guidelines that they have set. Balenciaga was very critical of the Chambre for this betrayal of the Jews. He also despised what he saw as the bourgeois and elitist nature of high fashion as represented by the Chambre. So, here's a curious fact for you. Although Balenciaga is viewed by many as being a designer of haute couture, his contempt for the Chambre and refusal to join it, especially 
after the betrayal of the Jews, means that his house was never a house of high fashion. Because of his Spanish nationality and the friendly relations between Franco and Hitler, Balenciaga had some astonishing advantages over his rival French fashion houses. He could travel to Spain whenever he wanted. He had dual nationality. He could buy fabrics outside the Third Reich, including English and American. And the American fashion press published his designs. Balenciaga responded to the changed conditions for women in France because of the restrictions brought on by the war. So riding a push bike became more important than before as a way of getting around because petrol was restricted. To that end, he designed short skirts worn over tight purple jersey bombers with blazers and thick red stockings. Practical for riding bikes and, more importantly, staying fashionable. Besides this practical and sensible design in women's clothing, in Paris during the war, gowns ballooned in size. Both it was claimed as a way to diminish the amount of material that the Nazis had available for war use, but also reflecting the mood of decadent exuberance that helped people make it through the ordeal of living under German occupation. This was in sharp contrast to the austerity in England, where everything was being done to reduce the amount of material in women's clothing. Every space on board merchant ships crossing the Atlantic to England under constant attack by U-boats made thinking about women's fashion a luxury that the country couldn't afford. One item of quintessentially French clothing, however, that fell a victim of the war was the beret, During the Vichy years, French of all ranks and stations were expected to wear the beret as a symbol of their French identity. But the association with the collaborationist Vichy government tainted the beret. It had lost its innocence and its appeal. It had become politically contaminated. Now it was associated with organised killing. After the war, the French quietly put it away. I hope it makes a huge comeback The mono-world promised by the European Union is as exciting for fashion as the Red Guard was in China under Mao. Perhaps one of the most interesting connections of Cristobal Balenciaga came in an unexpected way after the end of World War II. In Balenciaga's Spanish salons, a stunning new model was employed. She was a teenager. She had blonde hair. Her name was Ingebergit Hanna Hurst. She was more usually called Bridget Hearst. She frequently appeared on the catwalk in front of the wife of the Spanish dictator Franco. Bridget walked so confidently and straight on the runway that Balenciaga called her My Little German Soldier, and perhaps that description wasn't far from the truth. Bridget was born on 18 August 1933. She grew up as something of what might be called today an army brat. Her father held a very high position in the SS. His name was Rudolf Hurs. He was the camp commandant of Auschwitz concentration camp. From the age of seven until she was 11, Bridget lived in a villa beside Auschwitz. She and her family lived quite the lifestyle. They were waited on by many staff, including prisoners from the death camp. Their home was decorated with at least some of the possessions taken from the Jews. The prisoners' blocks and a crematorium could be seen from the upper floor of their home. 
Bridget's fondest memories were visiting the horses and the German shepherds that were used by the guards at Auschwitz. She described her father as the nicest man in the world. She married an American and moved to the United States, living in Washington, D.C., and found a position with a fashion house there. Not surprising. The fashion house catered for the rich and the famous. Some of the people that she served while working there included Bill Clinton and Al Gore. Now, maybe that is a real inconvenient truth. A lot of the customers of the fashion business were Jewish. They were surprisingly good-natured about Bridget's background. They said she couldn't be held accountable for what her father had done. Rudolf Hirsch had been very proud of what he'd been able to achieve at Auschwitz. In his diary, he wrote of his pride in running the greatest human destruction machine of all time. Who wouldn't be proud? After the war, Hearst was captured by the British and handed over to the Poles, who hanged him in the grounds of Auschwitz concentration camp, a fitting end. Thanks for joining me, Paul, for this almost haute couture fashion program. Next program, I promise, I'll find a real haute couture fashion designer.